Okay, I'm glad you're here. We're, uh, we're right in the middle of Sukkot right now. It's Chalavite Sukkot, the in-between days of Sukkot. And um, we're living in Sukkot and everything like that. And we're, we're, we're getting toward uh, Hoshana Rabbah and also um, uh, Simchas Torah, which is unbelievable. So maybe we'll, we'll try to hit on all of these things uh, today. And um, just kind of like, what, what, uh, what sort of the... The divine lessons are uh, in terms of just what it means to, to, to sit in a sukkah, to, to sleep in a sukkah, to, to eat in a sukkah, to, to be in the shade of the sukkah, all, all of these ideas. And, um, and uh, especially just how this all sort of seems to culminate with, um, with finishing up the entire Torah. You know, the, the Torah itself is a cycle. You go through the entire Torah and, and that in itself is like, a sukkah, if you will, because you're you're getting from one end of the scroll to the other, and then you're going back around again. So the whole thing is 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 another one of these amazing um, divine hugs, if you will, that are uh, that are enveloping us at this time, um, and they're connected. So so let me just talk about something because it's it's. Uh, it's funny, it's like, I, I, I wish that we talked about this whole year, and um, there's certain Devar Torahs that are just, you just kind of hear uh, at, at a seasonally uh, appropriate time, and the truth is, is that they're really great for the entire year, and, and this is one of those that, that's just so, uh, just so important, but, but somehow we just kind of hear it this time of year, but, but, but let's go into it. Um, it's, it's the whole idea, we, we read it, it's, it's, this incredibly epic part of the Torah. It's maybe in some ways the arguably the most epic of the uh, of the half Torah portions. We just read it on Shabbos. Read it on Shabbos Sukkot, which is the war of uh, Gog Umagag, which is also uh, kind of known in English anyway as the apocalyptic war, the the, the great war, which 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 just precedes the arrival of Mashiach. So Mashiach comes afterwards, and that's really the headline. It's like one avenue to Mashiach. But because the war is so massive, it, it tends to overshadow the fact that there is this sort of happy ending at the end of it, but, you know, for good reason, because the, the, the war is so, so destructive. Um, so how are we to understand that? And how does that tie into the whole idea of uh, sukkahs and 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 the and, and, and the su- and the sukkah itself. Well, in terms of tying into sukkahs, I saw something interesting from the tour. The tour is a halachic codifier, so um, sort of like he predated the the Shulchan Aruch, and so he was, I think, the first person to really, in an organized way, bring together all of Jewish law in sort of a one compendium. So he quotes the High Gon. The High Gon was. Uh, the head of Babylonian Jewry. So during his time, he was the head of the Jewish people. And by the way, I heard an amazing uh, uh, biographical fact about the Haigon from Reb Shlomo, which is that he was also the greatest fencer in the world, <laughs> which is an amazing thing. That Here you have like the leader of the Jewish people, the greatest Talmud Chachum, the greatest Torah scholar, and the greatest fencer. And he was also a, an astronomer, and he was a, a, a very great man. But anyway... He said, the Haigon said, that he heard from wise people. So if, if the uh, Haigon is quoting, quote-unquote, wise people, you can be confident that they themselves were, were very great also. 
that this war would occur in the month of Tishrei. And so, as a result, we're reading about this in the month of Tishrei. So that, that in itself is interesting. But it, so, so in that way, it relates to this time of year. But it also very much relates to um, when we get into the characters involved in the, the, the war, especially the, the leader of the sort of the arch enemy of humanity, if you will, you'll see that it very much um, uh, enlightens us as to what is going on in the sukkah itself, in the actual physical um, structure of the sukkah. Um, and so Gog is uh, his name, and he's from Magog or Magog, however you pronounce it exactly. And I, and I heard something very, very interesting uh, in a sukkah yesterday, which is from a grammatical construct. If you put a mem in front of a word, like, uh, like or is light, but there's a name mayor. Mayor means uh, that one who projects light, right? So, so that's... That, that's um, so Gog is from this land, or the head of this people, Magog, which is projecting this concept of Gog. So what is it, Gog? In other words, he's not just the embodiment of it, but he projects it and spreads this philosophy, because it stands for a philosophy, throughout the world. So that's, that's, that's a very interesting idea. What, but what is it? So it means, um, Rabbi Samson Rafael Hirsch says that it means a roof. And so that means that sort of the, the enemy of humanity, if you will, are the, are, are the roof people. So what does that mean? The, the, what does that mean, the roof people? So a roof is something which cuts heaven off from earth. Right? That's, that's what a roof does. And a roof is also something that creates the illusion, or perhaps the fosters the delusion, that you are self-sufficient. Because if you are under your roof, then you are sheltered from the elements, right? And then you can, you can say things like, this is my life, this is, um, right, this is what I do behind closed doors, right? Or just this whole concept of... Um, that this is, my, this is mine, this is my space. So what does a sukkah come to do? The sukkah is the opposite of a roof, actually, right? The sukkah is, an, is uh, in, it has to have holes in it because you have to be able to see the stars through it. So in other words, it, it, it doesn't provide protection. So it's this merging of heaven and earth, if you will. And that's 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 the um, that's the mindset that we're creating going into the year. So we're going to get more into it. So I have a question, which is the following: that if we really want this idea of an opening, so why have any covering at all, right? We call it schach. And I heard a beautiful Torah from Rabbi Tzvi Freeman, who said that that on Rosh Hashanah. We blow 100 shofar blasts, and that's really making God king and saying, we want you to be king. And then the gamachi of schach, which is the covering of the sukkah, is, is, is also 100, meaning to say that God comes down and says, I, I will be your king, you know, I, and, and come and live in my house, right? So that's a, 
kind of a, a nice connection there. But, but my, my question before that is, if the whole idea is not to have a roof, then why just have no palm fronds at all? Have no bamboo, mat, whatever it is. Just have it completely empty. So one of the halachas, one of the main halachas of building a sukkah is that the schach, the covering on the roof, has to provide more shade than sunlight. So in other words, there, there is a role for it. It's not just that there should be an opening. You have to provide, it has to provide shade. And I don't know about you, but I, I've experienced this many, many times in my life, and it's a, it's a beautiful feeling, and I hope you've, you, you, you know what I'm talking about when I tell you, is when you're walking on a hot, sunny day, and then you get a patch of shade, and it feels so good, right? So that's, that's the idea, that, that you have to be in this relationship with God where it feels so good, right? Where you're in, where you're in the shade of Hashem. So that's, that's, the, that's, that's the idea. So there's, a, um, there's an intellectual component to it, and there's an emotional component to it. The intellectual component of it is that the whole world belongs to God, right? And that we're not cutting off heaven from earth. The emotional component is, God, you're everywhere, and I like that. <laughs> a lot of people are like, God, do you really have to be everywhere? Like, couldn't you just sort of be in most places, but not exactly everywhere? So, so by the way, if you're, if you're feeling that, then, then I, here's, the, uh, here's what I would recommend. And, you know, every once in a while, I, I, I refer to these talks that I give as couples therapy between us and God, right? <laughs> so, so if you're feeling like, God, do you have to be in this place right now at this moment? Do you have to, you know? What I recommend is that you say, God, I love you so much. Whatever I'm doing right now, maybe I shouldn't be doing it, but this is where I'm holding right now. I want to do better. This is where I'm at right now. I'm hoping to do better, and I'm hoping to get to that place. Please, please help me to get to that place. I'm not there at this moment yet. And that way, you, you don't have to start to do sort of like all sorts of weird psychological traumatic tricks with yourself, which is sort of like, oh, I'm shutting him out or whatever it is, or now I'm angry at him because I'm messing up or whatever. You don't have to be in that place. You can just say, God, I'm a work in progress. Please help me, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm still glad you're here. <laughs> so, so that's, that's, um, that's it. Because just keep, keeping the love alive because God, God knows that um God knows that, that, we're, that we're works in progress. And God knows that we're human beings and, and that, we're, that we make mistakes. That's, that's the whole idea of Yom Kippur. And I'm not going to go through the whole learning of it, but, but I'll just, uh, just give you the headline here, which is that the earliest Yom Kippur can be traced to the very first day of creation, according to the Medrash. Um, Yom Echad, the one day without any sort of Yitzhahara, which is... Which is uh, Yom Kippur, without any satan, because the the gematria the the Gemara says the gematria of hasatan the satan is 364, and there are 365 days in the in the year. So there's one day without any of that energy, which is Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. So one day Yom Echad, and the first day of creation is called Yom Echad. So so already the rabbis are identifying the fact that the very first day of creation already was like a Yom Kippur, right? And so. 
That's a, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing because that means that God was forgiving us before he even created us, right? That's how much God is aware of our fallibility, right? That he was forgiving us before he even created us. So that's an awesome thing. So let's get back to this idea of the schach. So the schach is, is that we're being shaded by Hashem and, and, and that's, the, that's the emotional component. It, it feels good. It feels good, you know? So... So let's, uh, let, let's go with that a little bit further. Let's, let's get a little bit deeper. You know, a lot of times <clears throat> I talk about, I use a phrase which, which is sometimes a little bit mysterious to some people. And um, I heard it from Rev Shlomo. Rev Shlomo used to use it all of the time. So, so I, I use it as well. Um, but I know that some people have a question. What, what does he mean by that? And that's when we talk about making vessels. Right? People often sort of scratch their head. What does it mean to make a vessel? So a vessel is something that, that holds something, right? Like a kli is a vessel, right? That's, by the way, a very beautiful teaching. Kli, this is from the Megalia Mukos. He brings this. Kli is, in Hebrew, means, means like a vessel, something, you know, like a container. So it's the first letters, Kohen Levi Yisrael. That spells kli, right? So in other words, when there's unity among the Jewish people, then we become a vessel to hold God's life, right? So there has to be that, that, that level of connection. And by the way, how do you, you know, people talk about, there's sort of like a, a, um, a uh, what do they call it? Conventional wisdom, conventionalism, that's it. Which is that someone who's super holy, like Mashiach, for instance, like Mashiach is keeping all 613 mitzvahs. But the, the reality is, is that anyone, or tzaddik, or tzaddikas, whatever it is, is keeping 613 mitzvahs, um, which is all the mitzvahs in the Torah. It's actually impossible to keep all, for one individual to keep all 613 mitzvahs. Because some mitzvahs are for women, some mitzvahs are for men, some mitzvahs are for kings, some mitzvahs are for farmers, right? Some mitzvahs are only there if you break other mitzvahs. <laughs> like, the idea to... Um, to, to do tshuva, right? To, to fix yourself up. That's actually a Torah mitzvah. But you can only do that if you've messed up. So how do you keep that mitzvah unless you've messed up, right? How about there's a mitzvah to return stolen property. How do you return stolen property unless you've stolen? <laughs> so, so there, and I'll give you a, one of the classic examples in the Gomorrah. It's called Noser. Right? Now, you're supposed to eat, back in the day, bless you, back in the day when we had the Korban Pesach, the, the Passover offering, you had to eat the, the whole thing that night. And anything that, was, um, uh, anything that was left over the next day, there's a separate mitzvah to burn. Right? So the rabbis in the Gemara ask a question. If you're supposed to eat the whole thing that day, what do you mean if there's anything left over, you burn it? Right? So you can only keep the mitzvah of, of, of burning what's left over if you didn't keep the first mitzvah of eating the whole thing. So, there's, so there are many, many examples of that. But, but the idea is like this. When two people um, uh, uh, love each other, basically, or they're on good terms with each other, they, 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 they respect each other, they appreciate each other, then I get all your mitzvahs and you get all my mitzvahs. That's the idea. So that's how a person is actually able to keep 613 mitzvahs, by sort of like being in this unified place with everyone else. Then everything comes together. 
So, so, so let's continue this idea of making yourself into a vessel. Because we, we all want to be vessels for God's light. We all want to be like, you know, like, you know, to, to be able to hold it in a good way. And, and by the way, interestingly, um, they, they say that, that, that maybe the greatest blessing that God gives is peace. And if you look at the end of a lot of different very key prayers in, in the Torah, um, the last word is shalom. The last word of the benching, the, 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 the grace after the meals, is shalom. The last word of birkas kahanam, the priestly blessing, is shalom. And there are other examples as well. So, so they say, what, what does that mean? Shalom has the, the um, same root as shalem, which means complete. And the idea is that if you can be like really rich, but if you have a big hole in your pocket, all the money is like going down to the ground, right? So in other words, like you can be getting a lot of blessing, but you want to be able to hold the blessing. You don't want to have a big hole in your clee, in your vessel, right? So you want to be in this, in this place of peace. So, so I would like to suggest that the sukkah itself is a really nice model for what it means to be a clee, for what it means for us to be a clee. So how do I mean that? Because... Um, there, there are two essential components that are really coming together, um, which, is, which is work and faith, right? Work because you have to make the four walls yourself, and that's not so simple. You know, you've got to find wood, or you've got to find, or you've got to, you got to pay some bucks to get some, you know, tarp, and you've got to erect the whole thing. So that, that, that's work. And then... Faith, the Zohar calls the shade, the shade of the faithful, right? The shade is sort of like, God, I did my job, and now I'm receiving from you, right? And you can't have one without the other, right? You can't just have the schach floating in the air without the walls of the sukkah. And you can't have the walls of the sukkah without the schach providing the shade. So the two things have to come together. In other words, we in our own lives are given this, this amazing challenge, if you will, which is on the one hand to say, everything is in my hands, and on simultaneously to say, God, you run the entire world and everything is in your hands. And to live with both of those principles simultaneously, this is, this is a very great challenge. This is a very great challenge. And along those lines... Um, Interestingly, the, since the walls of the sukkah really represent our effort, because we have to put up the walls, right? The Ishvitzer says something very interesting about the fact, the Mishnah says that they can't be higher, the walls, higher than 20 amas. So that's, um, that's a measurement. And, and that would be pretty tall if it's higher than 20 amas. And he says, do you know why you can't? Because if you're standing in a sukkah that's with walls higher than 20 amas, then the shade that you're experiencing in the sukkah is coming from the walls, not the schach. And what are the walls? The work of your own hands. In other words, you're overly empowering yourself, if you will, right? Because you're going, ah, I did a great job because I'm great, right? Because I'm mighty, right? And that sort of like throws off this whole balance, this incredibly delicate balance that we're trying to achieve. Um, 
there's a, a Hasidic story which illustrates this, but um, I keep on messing up the details, so I'm afraid to tell it. <laughs> but, but, so maybe I'll just tell you the lesson of it, which is from the Berdichever Rebbe, who says that basically you've got um, two counterparts uh, along the lines of what we're talking about, which is Kiddush, making Kiddush, and shaking the, the, uh, the four species. When you make Kiddush, you hold the Kiddush cup in your hand, but what are you talking about? How God created the whole world. So that's when you make Kiddush, you're saying everything is in God's hands, right? And that's the whole idea of, when do we make Kiddush? On Shabbos. That's the whole idea of Shabbos. Shabbos is like, you know something, I'm withdrawing from being an active participant in creation, and I'm just being one of, one of God's creations, you know? So, so that's, that's great. That's Kiddush. That's everything is in God's hands. Then we have, then we have the, the, the Arbaminim, right? But that's much heavier. And so in this story that I'm not going to tell you, <laughs> someone sees, uh, someone is hiding under a table and watching the Berdichever Rebbe shake the, the Lulav and the Esrug, and he faints. Right? That much of the story, I, that, that part I got. <laughs> and why? Because that, that whole idea is that everything is in our hands. Right? Which is, which is so, so and, and if you think about it, it's, it's kind of interesting because what do we do? We take these four species, which represent the entire Jewish people. And we say that God made the whole world for, for the Jewish people, right? Or for us to spread the oneness of God, the, these ideas, right? Um, to the whole world. Um, and we're all God's children. So that, that, but we take these four species and we move them in different directions, which is very interesting. In other words, we're moving the world. In other words, the direction of the world is in our hands. And we really do sort of illustrate that idea, which is, again, it's a, it's a very heavy idea, but, but it's all a balance because at the same time, everything is in God's hands, right? So, so let's go further. Um, I said that we're, we're heading toward uh, Simcha's Torah. And, and there's a, an amazing moment, um, which is at the end of the Torah. And because the, the Torah doesn't refer to it specifically, a lot of people aren't familiar with this. You have to actually look at the Rashi. It's one of the last Rashis in the whole Torah. It says that Moshe did wondrous things before the eyes of all of Israel. And that's the end of the Torah, right? So, he, you know, no one has a problem with that. He did do wondrous things before the eyes of all of Israel, right? But then if you look at the Rashi there, he goes, oh no, this passage is talking about one thing in particular. And you're like, what? Which one? What? Of all the wondrous things that Moshe did, it must be giving us the Torah, right? No. Splitting the Red Sea? No. Taking us out of Egypt? No. You know, it says all the man bread fell from heaven in the merit of Moshe. That, that's got to be it. No. You know what it is? Breaking the luchos. Smashing the tablets. That's what it's, uh, that's the amazing thing. So the Torah literally is ending on this sort of very subtle, somewhat, you know, just hinting at it, but this reference of smashing the tablets. And so, so what's that all about? Why? So, so 
so, you know, so don't we want to end on a positive note? And so I want to say, I want to say this idea. And, and I, I want to connect it to something from the Kutzka Rebbe. Um, the Kutzka Rebbe said, what is, the, what is the joy of Simcha's Torah? Because we're all dancing with Torahs, right? And it's, it's, a, it's a big day, a lot of, lot, of, lot of Simcha, a lot of happiness. So he says, so, so, so probably if you just went up to someone in the street and say, why are people so happy? They'll probably tell you, oh, it's because we finished the Torah. Right? So what's the Kutzka Rebbe's explanation? We're so happy because we got to the end of the Torah and we realize that we haven't even begun it yet. <laughs> right? That the Torah is so infinite. We've gotten to the end of the Torah and we realize we haven't even begun it yet. And that's why we're so happy. Right? So with that in mind, I want to suggest the following. That why is the Torah ending with a reference to the smashing of the luchos? Because whatever you thought you knew, smash it. Throw it away. Throw it away. You know? Sometimes, you know, they say, they, in, in English we say that sometimes a little information is a dangerous thing. Because sometimes you know a little, and then you think you actually know a lot, and then thinking you know a lot stops you from knowing anything at all. <laughs> so, keeping that sort of like open mind, right? Like sometimes it's like, sometimes people, and I, I've seen this with my own eyes, in fact, I've even seen it in myself, let's be honest, which is that you, you, you hear a new teaching, and it's like a radical teaching, it's like, you know... And then you go, you know what? I would have heard this by now if this was like for real, you know? And then you, and then you just shut it out. And it's like, no, you know, I'm, I'm talking about when you learn something that's, that is actually real, that has a source to it and it's from a legitimate teacher and all the rest, you know? So, so, and so sometimes like a little knowledge can block out way more knowledge. And so we get to the end of the Torah and we're just smashing it and just like opening it up. We're just opening it up for us to keep on learning, keeping in this state of wonderment, you know? Because that's so, that's so crucial. That's so crucial. You know, they, uh, they talk about the idea that when you're, when you're learning, see, you, you have to, they say, why, why was the Torah given in a desert? Because there's nothing that grows in the desert. A desert is, is, is desolate. So that if you really want to make yourself uh, into a Torah student, you have to, on some level, make yourself like a desert. Meaning to say, it's just sort of like, you know, I'm not holding on any. I'm not holding on to anything to block it out. I'm just, I'm just receiving. You know, a desert is just open and it just receives. And then another form of visualization for this, which, which I, which I like quite a bit, is, you know, can you imagine? Let's say I want to pour from a pitcher water into a cup, right? But let's say, so, so who's the cup? The cup is the student. Who's the pit- pitcher? The pitcher is the teacher, right? So, and, and water is compared to Torah. So, so pouring water into a cup, that's like teaching Torah, right? But can you imagine if you put the cup above the pitcher? Try to pour water into a glass that's above the pitcher. <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> If, 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 if the student is thinking the whole time that he's listening to the teacher, how much more he knows than the teacher, it doesn't work. 
It doesn't work. So, you know, have you ever, you know, sometimes, and this is, um, this is a, a sort of a painful reality, but um, we should all know it so we can maybe have insight and maybe not be guilty of it. You know what? I, you know what? So many, I don't know, I, I wouldn't even dare to guess at the percentage that this is the case, but let's just say so many conversations. You know what so many conversations are? One person is talking and the other person is just waiting for the other person to stop talking so they can start talking. <laughs> it's not a conversation. It's just taking turns speaking. And then also taking turns not listening. <laughs> right? Like I saw something that I thought was just... Um, it just... It, 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 it sort of like opened my mind to what a conversation actually is. Uh, it, it, Steve Martin has came up with a comedian and, and uh, you know, writer, Steve Martin, uh, very, very smart guy. Uh, he, he, was, he was being interviewed by someone, and I, I forgot who, but someone who was like a, a great interviewer, who was known as being a very great interviewer. And they made sort of like this evening, I think it was at a museum or whatever it was, it was a few years ago. And it was just going to be a conversation between the two of them. On stage, people bought tickets, and they came, and they really wanted to see this. And um, I guess one of the people who was, who was organizing the, um, the event said that they would take questions from the audience, right? So, so in the middle of this conversation, people, this, this person was handing Steve Martin like index cards with questions on them. And the questions were like the most basic questions that, you know, like, how did you get into comedy? <laughs> right? Like, not something that you would, or, you know, not something that this event was about. This was something that you could just go online and, you know, read something that he's answered a thousand times and was just not what this was supposed to be. And so as a result, that started, that actually dominated the whole thing. And Steve Martin felt terrible at the end of this because he felt as though that he had, that it, that it had been essentially worthless. And he wrote an article. The only reason why I know about this is that he actually wrote an article that they actually published on the op-ed section of the New York Times. <laughs> Him sort of like, just sort of like, you know, being heartbroken about how the evening was just a disaster because of this. But here's the reason why I'm telling you the story. Because he said, we never got a chance to go to all the interesting places that conversation would have led us. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think like, like when two people talk, what, what are just like, just let's just break it down. What's a conversation? You're a divine soul. You're a piece of God. And the other person is a piece of God. And they're, you know, encased in two absolutely unique encasements. And they're sort of like, kind of like exploring this new avenue of reality together. And it's sort of like you get to go to like this like amazing, interesting place. You get to go on this journey with someone. A conversation is a journey to an unexpected place. Because you never know where a conversation is going to direct you, right? And so, 
So one of the, one of the uh, uh, Torah meetups, in other words, one of the Torah uh, modes of be- behavior is actually not to interrupt someone. You know, and they say that even if someone starts to tell you a story that you've heard before, right? Don't interrupt them. You know, and I know that I, I'll be the first to interrupt someone, so I'm very guilty of this. But, but I find when I control myself that it always goes to a different place. The story always goes to a different place. Or I'll hear the story in a way that I didn't hear it the first time. You know, so, so that's, that's all part of making yourself, and, but, but, but it has to be, you know, basically, it, I, I never really thought about it so much before, but the act of conversation itself is really an act of humility, because allowing the other person to finish, you know, really, you really have to make yourself like a little bit small in order to allow the other person to finish. And it's, uh, it's interesting. So, so all of this is Torah. All of this is Torah. Um, so, you know, I just want to wrap it up and uh, share this uh, a little bit at the, at the Minyan uh, on Shabbos, but, but just say it again just fast, which is, which is the idea that um, that the schach, that that shade that we're getting, is is really the shade of our own tshuva. And and how do you how do you figure? Because schach is something that's cut off. It's just garbage, basically, agriculturally speaking. It's just cut off branches and cut off leaves. It's not you can't do anything with it, right? So we're taking it and we're turning garbage into mitzvahs, right? And what are we doing on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur? We're taking all the things that we did wrong in the past, and by returning to God out of love, we're turning all those averas, all those mistakes into mitzvahs. So, so, so that process of tshuva, turning things that have no value into things that have the greatest value in the world, is being enacted in the sukkah itself. So now, after all this tshuva that we've done, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we go into the sukkah and we actually get to bathe in the radiance of our own work, right? In the most beautiful way, in our own avoda, you know? And, uh, and it's a totally spiritual thing, right? Because, because we were partners in God in doing, with, in doing that. God is the one who turns it into that beautiful thing, right? So it's the shade from God but 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 through 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 our love, and um, just um, just two more fast things, just because I got excited about it this year, you know, uh, we've got uh, every once in a while I'll hear a Torah and I'll say, you know, like if you it, over the years if you're learning different sources over a period of time, even if you don't hear the source. Sometimes it's got a little taste to it, and you go, "Oh, I know who said that, right?" Mm-hmm. And and it's it's like cool when you're right, you know. So because you just you know the style. So every once in a while, I'll hear a Torah and I'll go, "Oh, that's Rip Shlomo for sure. Only Rip Shlomo saying Torahs like that, right?" Mm-hmm. And then um, sometimes I'm shocked. It was Rabbi Akiva, 
you know, <laughs> you know. So, so that happened to me one time, and and this happened to me on this Torah too, which is that the idea that the 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 sukkah itself is a divine hug. I thought, oh, that's got to be Reb Shlomo, and it's not. It's I heard in the name of the Ari, right? And so, it's amazing, you know, just just like this. These far-out Torahs have been, been said for like hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years, you know? So, so the sukkah starts with the letter Samech. So, so I, you know, it, this is really the time of the Samech. Now, 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 what excited me was, just in case you, you, you didn't know, every letter in the Torah, somewhere in Tanakh, has a big version of that letter and a small version of that letter. So where is the big Samech in Tanakh? And the answer is, it's in Kahelis, which is the book of Ecclesiastes, which is what we read on, on Sukkot. So it really is the, the time of the big Samach, the time of the big hug. And um, I, I can't not say this next thing, just because it's one of my favorite things ever. Reb Shlomo says that when you hug someone, you make the letter Samach around. Right? And what's being communicated to them on a just on the level of body language, if you will, is that I won't let you fall. Because the Samach stands for the phrase Somech Noflim, which means God who uplifts the fall. Right? So God is telling us, I'm not going to let you fall. And not only that, but it's the time of the big Samach, so it's a big hug, you know? And so, so Hashem should bless us that really we should make ourselves into like true vessels, right? And really be able to combine that great balancing act, which is so challenging, which is knowing that everything's in our hands, but at the same time, understanding that everything is in God's hands, right? And uh, also really to, to be clear on another level, like Kohen, Levi Yisrael, for all of us really to love each other, so that we should all unify all of the mitzvahs together. And also to really be open for higher and higher levels of Torah, that we should really smash those luchos in the best, most positive way, right? And really to get rid of any preconceptions, all that, all those little bits of knowledge which are which are holding back the greater bits of knowledge, you know. And uh, it should just be a fantastic year. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.